the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Who's to blame for the Christian celebrity culture? And then we're joined by John and Valerie Garrett to discuss the theology of Christmas music. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. It is Tuesday. It is coming towards Christmas week. Aubrey, how are you today? Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you. I'm a mixed bag, Brian. I have someone in my life who is a really close friend who's kind of hurting right now, so I'm feeling a little bit of that, but I'm also excited that, you know, Christmas is just around the corner it's just it's coming unbelievable so i'm also like checking my list and wait what do they say making my list making it check it twice yes i can't believe it i'm like okay it's coming fast it's so it's here yeah so aubrey i wanted to start in a very random spot today you and i did not acknowledge an important birthday yesterday oh we didn't anybody our age I'm about oh, to give a name that will make you just immediately remember being homesick from school. Yesterday was the 99th birthday of Bob Barker. Oh, Bob Barker. You know who loves Bob Barker? My husband. Uh, we, who doesn't love Bob Barker, right? Is like he, he was. He alive still? So he yeah, turned 99? Yeah. He turned 99. Like we're celebrating him in more memorandum. Memorandum. No, okay. we are not. He is 99. And. I I just laughed because I saw some people tweeting about it. And literally, when The Price is Right comes on, I immediately feel like I'm in fourth grade and homesick from school. (laughs) It is really funny. That show was like a part of our childhood. I thought when you said home from school sick, I thought you were going to say someone from Saved by the Bell because that's what I typically watch. But yes, Bob Barker, happy birthday. Bob, hope you're surrounded by Bob's beauties on your birthday. <laughs> Is that Barker's what they were called? They were Barker's, Barker's beauties. beauties. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Probably couldn't pull that off anymore. But no, no that was... Definitely. With the objectification when, of women in the game show days. Exactly. Standard back then. <laughs> Do you remember, by the way, Family Feud, Richard Dawson, like the longest running host? Uh, he did the Family Feud when it was big, right? And so, was he, there some controversy with Richard Dawson? No, except oh, okay. except to speak of like how it was different back then. Yeah, he used to kiss all the women contestants on I, the lips. Yeah, that's literally <laughs> what I'm thinking. I'm like, there's something up with him. That's. He literally used and to kiss them all like, on the lips. Yeah. Great. We'll let this happen. We'll let this slide. No, it was it was young, it was old, it was everything. Oh, and wow, 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 wow. You watch it now and you're like, what wait, what? It's it's jarring. So there you go. Happy birthday, Bob Barker. Happy birthday, Bob Barker. Bob Barker, he was obviously of Price's Right fame, but then became of uh of Happy Gilmore fame to many people in the next generation. Well, uh, I, it, I am. I I watched those movies. I knew I loved those movies, and I cannot remember them now. So I didn't even know that he was in Happy Gilmore. 
Oh, the very famous scene with Adam Sandler where he's playing in a celebrity golf with them, and Bob Barker okay. keeps getting mad at Happy Gilmore, and they end up having a fist fight that okay, goes yeah, on so forever. I, I remember that scene. I think I didn't put two and two together. That that's who it was. That's funny. He's like, that's All funny. right, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I'm sure uh, 99 years old. That is crazy. So uh, a, a homage to our youth. Uh, those of you out there listening going, oh, I remember staying home from school sick to watch <laughs> Bob Barker. All right, Aubrey, something really interesting was tweeted the other day by your girl, Beth Moore. Like she's, oh, she's your you girl. Oh, my girl. Yeah, she's I did. my girl. <laughs> Beth Moore, she denounced not just a Christian celebrity culture, but she denounced her generation's role in the wow. Christian celebrity culture. She said, I've been thinking about something this morning. This is a couple of days ago. I think my generation did the younger generation a disservice. Hear me out if you would. By and large, I think my generation, so she's probably, you know, 20 years older than us. Uh, I think my generation was the introduction to the platform culture, definitely to the Christian celebrity culture, even if the last thing many of us were after was celebrity. Mm -hmm. Throngs of us really did just want people to know Jesus and how to get to know him through Bible study and prayer. So this thread is not to get into all that's gone wrong in platforming, not going to do that. And then but then she basically says for some people on purpose, other people not purpose. And it's interesting to her, hear her say it because yeah, wow. there was no bigger Christian celebrity in the last mm -hmm. 20 years than Beth Moore. Uh, you know, especially in like the women's Bible yeah. study world. Uh, yeah. I had a friend once we were walking past uh, our a, a Beth Moore Bible study, a huge going on in our old church. And I'll never forget this 20 years ago. He goes, have you given your life to Beth Moore yet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the wild thing is she was sort of the only, I mean, she paved the way for a lot of women to write Bible studies and teach the right. Bible and things like she was on the only, only women. I mean, there was like Kay Arthur and Joyce Meyer, but she was right. like it, like she was it, especially from the sort of the evangelical non-denomination or I guess Southern Baptist world. So she goes on and on and on to say about book publishing, all of this stuff, how this played a role in it. But stepping back, you and I talk about the Christian celebrity culture. What do you think about her thesis there that that generation kind of poured fuel on the fire that they ushered in and that the yeah. next generation is having to live with the yeah. effects of the – you and I kind of fall between the two generations mm -hmm. she's speaking of. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, thoughts on your girl, Beth Moore, and what she had to say about Christian celebrity culture. I mean, I I, I always just appreciate Beth Moore. It's hard for me to ever really disagree with her, to be honest. But I, um, I appreciate – the hard thing is, in one sense, her generation – and I'm going to speak especially to the women, like I just said – allowed a new generation to do something they had never been able to do before and to see someone doing something they had – like she was the first woman I ever – ever saw preach teach the bible publicly mm -hmm. and it was like oh that's a thing like mm. women can do that and so in one sense i would never want that to change like i i don't think beth moore should go back and do it differently and at the end of the day i mean the word of God has been on almost every continent because of the work of Beth Moore and her relationship with Jesus and what's flown out of it, flowed out of it. And so it's, it's one of those things that it's hard. Cause she's not, a, if she was a toxic celebrity, this would be a little different, 
but because she's just been faithful to teach and preach the word of Jesus and loves Jesus so tremendously, it's kind of like, okay, that, I don't know. I feel like you're being a little too hard on yourself at the same time though. I definitely feel like the, um, what the next generation, and I guess I'm only speaking for women here, but what we saw was, okay, if you want to quote, be noticed, write Bible studies, speak and preach, it has to be at the level of Beth Moore or it's Mm. not noteworthy. It won't get attention. It won't, do you know what I'm saying? So I can see how in one sense she's right. Like that was the, um, unintentional ramification of her like ministry exploding and other people in her realm, their ministries exploding and their platforms growing so massively. I'm so hesitant to like place any blame on Beth Moore. Isn't that funny? She placed it on herself. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do. She goes on later to talk about one of the things that was probably inadvertently done most of the time was to say, was to romanticize the celebrity Christian. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look at us. Well, look at us on this platform. Our lives are all together. We are like the follow us, basically. Like, I don't think Christian celebrity culture is a new deal. We see it in the Bible, yeah. right? Like yeah. some of you follow Peter, Apollo, some of you follow Paul, right? But we want you to follow Jesus. Like Christian celebrity culture goes way back. But I do think with the age of social media, multimedia, all this stuff, especially even going back a generation like she's speaking of, There was this romanticizing of, I follow this pastor, I follow this Bible study, this author that kind of romanticized this. And I do think you and I talk about all the time. I think um, the ramifications of that are being, are about to be, are being seen right now. Now we'll never do away with celebrity culture, but what do you think she's longing for? Cause she's also had some reckonings in her life. She's clearly working this stuff out as she's getting older. What do you think she's trying to say to the next generation? How is she saying do this differently? I think ultimately what she's really calling the next generation to is really not like, don't go after the platform, the celebrity, the quote unquote Mm -hmm. influence at all. I mean, just like totally just don't make that a priority, denounce it, refuse it and focus on Jesus, 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 Jesus. Like, I think she would probably even say, even if you're getting book deals and your books are selling like hotcakes and you're speaking on the platforms, it's not worth it unless unless Jesus is at the very uh, center of it and you're yeah. pointing people to Jesus away from you. Like my yeah. guess is, my guess is she's calling for a whole pendulum swing, like not even balance in this, but like pendulum swing. Let's get rid of this whole celebrity culture and get back to Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Period. And like. Love people well from your living room. Influence people well across your table. Let them influence you from across the table and serve Jesus in small, faithful ways. That I mean, I'm putting words feels in like mouth, it, but that's my guess. Feels like it. And like we said, it goes back to scripture where, you know, you follow Paul, you follow Apollos, you follow, but we're wanting you to follow Jesus. I think that's what she's saying here. Yeah. Celebrity culture is never going to go away. I think it's only going to get worse. And that's her fear, I think. Uh, and so uh, good words to heed from her. Like, let's point one another to Jesus. Coming up next, Aubrey, uh, 
Tish Harrison Warren wrote at the New York Times of all pla- of all places when gay rights clash with religious freedom. I want to unpack what she wow. had to say, but I more importantly want to tell you about some reactions I saw to it. I think they're very uh, eye opening. We're going to do that next year on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. All right, teases before Tish Harrison Warren, and I always appreciate uh, Tish that she writes pretty unapologetically on a regular basis at the New York Times. Like, yeah, I know. Not, of all places, like she's not writing a Christianity Today or Relevant right. or something like that, but like a pretty, pretty public platform and saying some uh, what could be read as controversial things. Yes, including this last one. She wrote this on uh, came out on December the 4th when gay rights clash with religious freedom. So we've talked about this. We've talked about um you know, David French's words on this and other, but this is the Supreme Court is taking kind of this up. And the conversation becomes um, with the um, Protection of Marriage Act from uh, President Biden, all of this stuff. This is at the forefront. Yeah. And Tish is part of the Episcopal Church and uh, or the Anglican Church. I'm sorry. She's a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. And so she's very clear in this opinion piece that I am part of a denomination that is not okay with gay marriage, that is not okay with homosexual lifestyle. But she also is saying that doesn't mean that we need to put our beliefs onto Mm. the entire country. Right. Mm. And so she's trying to walk this line of respecting all people, uh, treating people with dignity while saying this is what I believe. Okay, makes sense. And let me just read how she ends her article. There might be other parts you want to highlight, but let me just read how she ends. She says this. Still, I think a majority of people, including many gay people and many theologically conservative religious people, want to live in a society where they they and others, even those with whom they deeply disagree, can live the lives they desire and practice, proclaim and pass on what they believe. This is the promise of pluralism. It's a promise that different communities with conflicting narratives and ideologies are allowed in society and public life. It is a promise worth keeping. So that kind of sums up what she's talked about. I want to read to you some of the response, but what do you think about what she had to say there? Kind of the idea of pluralism. We want to be able to agree to disagree, but live in harmony, essentially, is what she's saying. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the dream. This is part of what the common good is and not just about like, sexual identity but also about you know our politics or even our theology or you know whatever categories you want to choose there's all kinds right the the idea is that we could love one another have respect for one another be in relationship with one another and also i think like sand the edges off of each other where do we need to learn from the other where do we need to where do we need to grow from the other? And I think this sort of mutual honoring mm-hmm. is the dream. I, I, this is where you and I kind of always go: is that Pollyanna-ish? Maybe, yeah. but it's that doesn't mean it can't. It doesn't mean it oughtn't be the goal. Yep. Let me read to you more of what she th- to dig in deeper. What she feels, she says, we need the law to act as a scalpel, not a sledgehammer. Uh, gay people must be protected from discrimination in secular employment, housing and health care. Yeah. We need to ensure that gay people can continue to be legally married and live according to their deepest values. We also yeah. need to ensure that religious people are not compelled to participate in an event or voice approval of a marriage they object to yeah. and that they can form churches, schools and other ministries in line with their beliefs. Mm-hmm. Churches ought not look to the government to enforce their views of morality. At the same time, those who celebrate same sex marriages 
must leave room for people who have a different vision of sexuality to work and live according to their beliefs. So she's trying to walk that, which I really appreciate. I, I do I too. Yeah. Let me read to you where I found this. It was uh, connected to a tweet. Somebody was responding. I didn't know Tish had written this until I saw this tweet. Was it a retweet? Is it a quote tweet? I forget. What it, whichever one. Uh, responding to this, this person said this. I do think this piece is very interesting because it's such a gentle, erudite expression of hatred. And that is how most LGBTQ Christians of my acquaintance experience the bottomless loathing of the body of Christ. Mm. So you ask, is it Pollyanna? Is it possible? Mm. I thought what Tish wrote there was super measured and super fair to both yeah. sides. Yeah. And that was the response of a gay Christian going, yeah. Yeah. this is just, this is just hatred. It's hateful masked in, in, in nice kind, words, kind, smart words. Yeah. So what now when I tell you, and these were the reactions all over the place, lots of this from both sides. Yeah. Uh, it did leave me going. I really like what Tish wrote and I'm not sure it's possible. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a little heartbreaking, to be honest. And you can understand that tweet, right? Like, you really you really can understand it. And I just I don't know, like, unless I don't know, I don't I don't know the answer. It, it feels like unless Tish had said, kind of like changed her theology and said, hey, uh, I'm for uh, she sounds like she's totally for gay rights, but she's also saying I'm like theologically mm -hmm. open and affirming. That would have been the only answer that, you know, people would be happy with. Yep. Yep. Uh, gay people would be happy with. And I understand that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you're longing for longing to see, especially someone who's writing for the New York Times with that much influence to be able to like support and celebrate your lifestyle. And at the end of the day, though, like this is this is Tish's theology. This is still a lot of the Western evangelical church's theology mm -hmm. and their stance on, um, on marriage. And so I, man, I don't know, Brian, cause I actually think she is coming to this conversation really gracious and saying, I, like, I affirm you're right. I think you should be able to get married and have housing rights and ha like, I'm saying yes to all of that. There's still a line in the sand for me, theologically, biblically, because of my faith tradition and because of what I believe the word of God says in my faith tradition. And you need to give me room for that. Yeah. Like basically I, what she's yeah, saying. Yeah, You have to like, it's like both things have to be true. And so That's you, right. uh, so anyway, all that to say you asked, like, is it Pollyannish? Yeah, I guess it is. And that's where you go, okay, Holy Spirit, like you have to mm. move. We're, I, I don't know. We're not going to do this in our own power you're going to have to move, you know, yeah. and, and I think something Ed Setzer said to us on the show a while ago, also Christians can't be surprised at this response. Mm, yeah. So another tweet uh, responded to this beautifully stated. This is the most pleasant, agreeable description of how I'm a sub citizen level sinner. I think uh, I've ever read. Uh, and I, I just wanted to read those because I do, you and I keep saying mm -hmm. this is going to be kind of the dividing line and it's a two way street. Yeah. Like, I think we read what Tish wrote and we go, that's beautifully stated. That's really well put. That's fair to both sides. That's this. And uh, not read that way. And I also didn't read yeah. the far right, uh, the far more conservative stuff that 
called her to task in ways I'm that sure. you can imagine. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. As uh, well. But I would encourage people to go read that at the New York Times. Uh, it is called When Gay Rights Clash with Religious Freedom mm. by Tish Harrison Warren. It is the end of the show. And at the end of every show, we like to do something either to be a little bit uh cheesy and funny and make you laugh or we like Mm -hmm. to spiritually encourage you in this time of year brian and i wanted to do something to spiritually encourage you really to be people of prayer and action and uh we are good friends with matt sorens he's been on the show before he's a guy from world relief and the immigration table and um if you need this is what we always say if you want to learn about immigration, learn from Matt Sorens. Like Matt Sorens, yes. He is just a, a, an incredible resource, especially for Christians. But what he's doing is putting together 12 days of prayer and action for a Christmas miracle for immigrants. And we thought leading up to Christmas, it would be uh, really meaningful for the common good to kind of partner with what he's doing and share with you some of those movements of action and prayer. But before we do that, Brian, why does it matter this time of year to be thinking about immigrants or be thinking about really anyone outside of ourselves? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I I would add to what you said about Matt Sorens being at World Relief. you know, a lot of times the immigration conversation can be so politicized. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every time I listen to Matt, he, he gets outside of the politics and talks about the people and what solutions. He's not a guy who's like, he's immersed in the politics and he's not, he, he speaks from both sides of the aisle going, I think they have this right here, this right here. So all that to say, but to your larger question, why this time of year, Uh, Because this is the time of year that we're focused on the coming of Jesus when Jesus came into this earth for us, for other people. And he calls us as his followers to be um, on the side of the oppressed, to be on the side of the least of these. That's why we talk about food for the poor with with the kids who don't have food. That's why we're talking about this. We as Christ followers... um, Regardless of your politics, Aubrey, like I don't think that I think that you could have a very conservative view on immigration politically and still care about immigrants and still do work and care about you can have a very liberal you can have a very liberal view of immigration and still care. The, The calling on us as Christians and as churches is to care for people like immigrants. That's right. Uh, it's not to back a specific policy or yeah. whatever else. And so yeah. really the question is so all too often in the church, which let's be honest, the evangelical church tends to lean Republican in number. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hear immigration and all of a sudden we start going, no, that's bad. No, the people aren't. The debate might be bad. It might be ugly, but the people uh, are often the exact broken types of people that Jesus is saying, church, go love them, church, stand up for them, church, serve them. Uh, and I think Christmas is a wonderful time to be reminded of that. And I think what I appreciate about Matt Sorens, too, is he also uh, reminds us as the church that we have a lot to learn from our immigrant brothers and sisters, right? Absolutely. Like, like as as we reach out and stand up for it, it's because it's a, a relationship of mutuality where we have so mm. much to learn. Over at the Eva- Evangelical Immigration Table, uh, Matt wrote this, and these are um, kind of this is leading up to the steps of prayer and action that he's giving us for the 12 days of Christmas. He says, dear friends. 
This Advent season, I'm mindful that not long after he was born, Jesus was forced to flee the threat of persecution from an evil king and was brought by his parents over the border into a foreign land. What better season for Congress to overcome partisan divides and pass pass due immigration legislation? I'll be honest, each day that passes, the odds diminish, but I'm encouraged that just in the past week, two key U.S. senators announced a framework that pairs a solution for DREAMers with improvements to border security. Another bill providing Afghans with the opportunity to apply for a permanent legal status has three Republican and three Democrat co-sponsors in the U.S. Senate and a bill to allow immigrant farm workers to earn permanent legal status while opening up new legal avenues to ensure a legal, reliable agricultural workforce going forward has already passed the House of Representatives in a bipartisan vote. So he's asking us to join with him in committing to set a few minutes each day for the next 12 days to act and pray for a Christmas miracle for immigrants. Today, he's inviting us to add a name to our letter. We'll post this on our social media to our U.S. senators to send a quick message to encourage your pastors to do that as well. And at the same time, to be uh, praying that um, this letter will go forward and make a difference in uh, the places that it needs to. Mm -hmm. And so that's one action step that you can take today, Brian. I'm going to sign my name to this letter. Um, But I think this time of year is, uh, yeah, like you said, really, really the time of year to remember the God that we worship, remember his experience as an immigrant, and remember his heart specifically for immigrants migrants and refugees, and we can uh, partner with God this Christmas by joining in what the Evangelical Immigration Table is doing. So again, go to our social media at Common Good Talk to find a link to that letter and consider signing it. Um, and I would also say if when you hear the, the phrase immigrant or immigration uh, and it immediately gets your blood boiling, like I have to like this is something to argue about. You're overly politicized. You're, yeah. you're, you're too polit. Again, the specific policy. Matt Sorens is the first one to say this when he comes on our show. The the specific policies and and politics uh, are important and and need to be debated and this and that. But what can't be debated is that we as a church are called to pray, care for, act upon, serve uh, those who are the downtrodden and the least of these. And in our culture, the immigrant falls under that umbrella. So the answer yeah, can't be, right. I don't want to have to think about the immigrant. Uh, it, it, don't over politicize this. Right. And so I think Matt is giving us great tools to say, OK, here's a way to serve. Here's a way to love. Here's a way to do something. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, our our executive producer, our new producer, Laura Finch, um, reminded us that um, even if there's no floor vote on a standalone immigration bill, it's possible that a smaller scale proposal could get tucked into an end of the year spending package. That deadline is fast approaching on December 16th, however, and any proposal would need buy-in from Senator Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, as well as House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. So this is why your voice matters right now. Um, Brian, with Christmas in mind, we were joined earlier today by our friends John and Valerie Guerra from Pray Mm -hmm. Tell, thinking about um, the immigrant and thinking about the birth of Jesus. I thought we could do something a little unique as we end the show today. We're going to um, end our time by hearing a Christmas song from John and Valerie Guerra of Pray Tell. Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.